Hi, and welcome back to the Village Trader Podcast. I'm your host, Njabul Mtibandi. This podcast is aimed at helping new and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. It brings me great honor and privilege to announce that we have partnered, partnered with Exness um, as the new sponsor of the Village Trader Podcast. Um, the tight spread, speedy, uh, speedy and reliable execution in forex stocks and indices cryptocurrencies and metal and energy instruments exness is an authorized is authorized by the fsca open your account now on exness.com this is episode number 55 in this week's in this week's episode i'm chatting i'm chatting with michael robler um also known as vector equilibrium on twitter how you doing mate thanks thanks for taking the time uh it's good to be here man good to meet you Good to meet you, man. Uh, thank you very much for, for, for taking the time. And firstly, before we, we, we get into your story, into the financial markets, what, where does the name Vector Equilibrium come from and what does it mean? The, the name comes from, uh, it's, it's got something to do with uh, trapping a rat. Um, it's, it refers to the structure by which uh, one would achieve stationarity in a non-stationary time series. Um, I know that's uh, not very not very helpful, but <laughs> it would be the ultimate exploit in trading if one were to achieve it mathematically. Uh, it, it's something like this. If you were to see a drunk man walking down the street mm-hmm. um, and you were to find you wanted to try to predict his movements, you wouldn't be able to do it very effectively. But you would know to some degree the limitation of his movements by virtue of the pavement. Um, Stock prices obviously don't work this way. They lack this stationarity. And uh, they far far exceed various points you may have predicted they may move to. Um, But things like the VIX, or stochastic oscillators, they don't work in this way. They have limits to the upside and the downside. Uh, if, you were, if you were trying to catch a rat uh, with your bare hands in an open field, you know, it's probably not gonna happen, <laughs> but especially not on a consistent basis. But if you were to try to sort of corral that rat into your bedroom and then close the door, you know, your cat's probably going to eat rat. Um, so it's, it's theoretically possible to, although very difficult, to model your portfolio in such a way that achieves this. Um, it is extremely difficult. Uh, so it's kind of like the undiscovered country. Oh. Um, you know, and, and it would be great to find um, for a lot of guys on the quant side. So it's just a reference to that. It's just a, the dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I, I must tell you, just as a matter of interest, just with regards to the inability to achieve it, um, there, are, there are a lot of attempts to achieve it in day-to-day trading by everyday guys. Uh, you, you'll find that people will use stochastic oscillators or MACDs they're an attempt to impose that stationarity on a chart. If you can imagine, like, give the guy the pavement kind of thing. Wow. Um, 
the problem is that those those they they're attempting to impose theoretically mathematically impossible things upon those shares so like stochastic for example means random so i would wonder if the listeners make use of the random indicator to guide their life savings you know it's just uh kind of a mugs game using those those tools in my opinion you also face lag noise trade-off uh the longer the indicator period the more the lag but the less the noise uh the shorter the period the less the less the lag but more the noise so you know it's 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 i know some guys live by them and i you know I know they're out there saying, no, you, how do you, how can you say that? But I, I just think they're more talented than they know. No, I know. Got you. Basically. And I think, uh, uh, I suppose the randomness nature and, and, you know, how generally stocks move uh, makes it even more difficult because you can't put these boundaries in, inside a market. No, you just can't do it. I mean, it's, it's, but there are, there are obviously edges you can get, but I just think that when it comes to technical indicators, they, they, they're absolute bunch of nonsense. Yeah. And, and not to be confused with price action analysis. You know, price action analysis is often incorrectly uh, lotted with technical analysis. Technical analysis is, is moving averages, uh, stochastic oscillators, MACDs, ADX, uh, you know, your Clive Roffey kind of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, actual price action analysis is support levels, resistance levels. I think that there is a, 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 a total legitimacy to, to price action uh, analysis. But technical analysis is, you know, it's just you're, you're trying to pass a, a price through a pre-existing mathematical formula. You actually destroy information and nuance in this way. Yeah. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense to do that, yeah. uh, in I, my after, opinion. Yeah, and after all the, these technical indicators, they're derivatives of, uh, of price, and they can't tell you anything more than the price itself is already telling you. In For fact, the most they, part, they're yes. Taking further, they're yeah. taking you further and further away from price. Absolutely. Especially when you see these guys that overlay like 150 of these things. <laughs> I mean, you can barely see the chart. Yeah. So it's unreal. Yeah, true. Yeah. I don't know what it's uh, information overload. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up with uh, par paralysis from analysis. Analysis paralysis, yeah. Uh, you know how, how how were you introduced into into the financial markets? Um. <clears throat> well, I you know, I've always been quite aware of money, so I invested. A, in like traditional retirement planning products through various wrappers like unit trusts and endowments and the like when I was very young. But I was introduced to markets by an acquaintance of my father. A little after that, uh, he worked in the financial services industry and he was visiting my dad at home for some meeting or something. Um, he had this file with him, like this mysterious file. It turned out to be this automated trading strategy called JALS. Uh, the general investment logging and evaluation system. I'll never forget it. It just sounded so catchy. Um, anyway, he gave me a copy of this process summary. And uh, because he knew, like, he just knew I had an interest in finance from a young age. So 
I mean, in retrospect, it was a very rudimentary system. I never tested it or anything, but, uh, and I never actually heard from him again. But that day, I, I kind of realized that investment portfolios more closely resemble engines than they do little trading businesses. Or more specifically that, you know, it would be possible theoretically to produce returns in a mechanized or a self-propagating way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was sort of what planted the seed in my mind. And then I began studying, uh, you know, econometrics and uh, even econophysics, very interesting stuff. Um, and then that just opened me up. I mean, everything in the market, the market is just so reflective of so many different aspects of the world and physics and life. And, you know, it teaches you so much about how to be, uh, uh, you know, it just teaches you about every aspect of life, relationships. Uh, it's a wonderful teacher. I'm glad that I met that man that day for that reason. Do you still remember the the basic approach uh, of that system that he, he gave you? Was it like trend? Or, um, yeah, it was like a cross-moving average thing. It was like very, very rudimentary. It was, but it was enough to, to just to give me the idea that, you know, stock picking is a, it's a fun game, but, uh, you know, if you don't have seriously, well thought out risk management processes in place, you're only ever going to be as good as your last trade. So really, I think of it more like, uh, I don't really trade for trend, I trade ranges. So I'll tend to be in a stock essentially for many years, but I will hold larger percentages in it when I consider it uh, not necessarily cheap, but due for an upside reversion or downside if it's a short, you know, not really trying to be right, just trying to, you know, you don't need to know the person's exact weight to know their fat. <laughs> so I just need to, I just need to sort of average. I mean, <laughs> I actually hold so many unpopular views as far as what I would imagine your, your audience is because I think I profit from volatility, not from trends. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of diversification. I don't believe in technical indicators or stop losses. I buy into losers. I'm a deflationist. So yeah, you know, you better free up some space in the village trader hate mail inbox. <laughs> uh, but you know, all jokes aside, I just I hope people I hope people question uh, what they consider self-evident sometimes because you know you might find you'll be really surprised yeah yeah and what's the what's the the the, the game that you're playing what's the objective um that you play in the market because we all play different games and you know to to your point you don't play the the the, the trend following game or you don't play the uh you, you know you play the volatility game what what's the game that you play, yeah, I play- the objective and, and how do you approach it yeah i think the easiest trades are are the the trades that are are in the news because they will attract the highest amount of stupidity uh, in all honesty. Um, I think your game should be, or my game at least is, you know, you, you need to, you need to take from the less experienced and from the overconfident. Uh, uh, that's basically what it comes down to. Whatever your processes are, that's really what you're trying to do. And uh, you know, like, 
you don't even necessarily have to believe in a market to exploit it. For example, um, I'm not a massive fan of crypto. Um, like from a, my own personal, like a change the world, all that story. Fair enough. Um, but I'm, I, I like the market because it's saturated with new money, uh, you know, who don't practice any of the principles we're talking about. So as far as a, you know, a, 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 a project or a, a place you can go to, to, to best allocate money, uh, you've got a you've got a higher percentage chance of being in the winning percentile in those demographics than you'll ever be trading against uh, you know pros on the JSE or on the currency markets. So the same thing with the small caps in in South Africa right now. I mean I'm in some of them because this easy easy money um, is just flowing. Eh? I mean it's Christmas, which is really <laughs> scary actually because. Christmas doesn't last all year. Yeah. Are, you, are you then more of a contrarian in nature? Um, in that 100%. What you have to be. I mean, you have to be. In, yeah. are you, you, you just, how can you not be? Because if you, if, you, if you ride a trend for long enough, if you get into the crowd and you stay in the crowd for long enough and you get caught up in all the stupidity, I mean, inevitably it's, you're going to lose. So it's all fair and well to be right for a while, but the trick is to, is to be right enough for long enough and stay right and not lose your money and, and stay in the game. And, and if the crowd gets big enough that's on your side of the, the field, you, you need to start asking questions because it's just not sustainable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I always reiterate what you just said, that, you know, in the market, it's not only about being right on your core or being right on analysis. It's also about uh, um, how much money do you make on, 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 on your being right? Because you can be right and still lose money because you've been jumping in and out with, with terrible what ratios or, um, you know, you, you jump in and you got greedy and turned a winning yeah. position into a losing position. It's not only about being right. I always sell it's too early. It's about making money too. No, it's about making money. That's what it's about. But I mean, it's also a hell of a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you learn a lot from the process, even from a little bit of losing. Um, but yeah, um, you know, whatever you can do, yeah. uh, do what you got to do. But it's, it's tough, but it's fun, man. It's fun. <laughs> I think it's the most fun thing in the world, for real. Uh, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, trading. Uh, this is trading is uh, the, the the most fascinating game with the worst graphic cards in the world. Yeah, it's awesome. You get to learn a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, examples of 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 where you 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 put in a contrarian trade based on stupidity that you see in the market? I think the entire platinum sector was, uh, you know, maybe. I mean, I can't say that I expected the the outcome that, that we saw. But I mean, there, there were points there where the valuations, I mean, even MTN was sitting at 26 at one point during the COVID crisis. There was another point where some of the prices were just completely ridiculous. I mean, it was a absolute sitting ducks. Uh, you know, th this is the best thing about the markets though. This is the stuff in the news. You know, when, when, when stuff gets into the news as, as, as ubiquitous as COVID has become, um, you can... I mean, there's, it's just, there's so many opportunities. You, you, you don't know what to do with yourself. Um, I do think, however, that the market, you know, overall is, 
is, is, is extremely expensive uh, at, an, at an international level. I know that South African markets are not particularly expensive. We've got a lot of um, good value on our market. But, you know, I mean, you look at a, you look at a NASDAQ chart and it's absolutely terrifying. Um, if that market comes down, it's not going to matter what valuation <laughs> our markets are at. Uh, we'll have a 90% correlation. You know, and my sense is that many traders are willing to establish some exposure to the market here, but they've also got a finger hovering over the sell button. So while they're holding on their long positions, their commitment is extremely tentative, in my opinion. If the market was to substantially break below these levels, uh, I think they'd be selling faster than you can say, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, when, 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 when the US sneezes, we all catch a flu. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, I mean, have you seen that thing? It's like, up. it's like, oh, it's crazy. I can't even describe it. But it's like, it makes perfect sense, you know, uh, the way the world's sort of, uh, well, what people perceive to be flooding markets with money, even though what the Fed does is not actually, it's not actually money printing. It's only one way money can be created. And that's at a bank through fractional reserve when someone borrows money. But we're still getting plenty of liquidity, uh, essentially, in the system through collateralization, et cetera. But it's dangerous, huh? It's dangerous. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all turns out. <laughs> See who's still around. See if all these newbies are still around. I wish yeah. them well. I honestly do. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see when, when, when the wheels really starts to turn. Um, can you take me through your risk management and money management strategy? Um, yeah, I, I mean, risk is traditionally labeled volatility, but that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, from your personal perspective as a private portfolio manager, whether your operational risk management involves real-time entries or exits or hedging or pairing or whatever, at the end of the day, you're still managing your net exposure. So I think successful long-term investors, they, they set positions that are consistent with their tolerance for risk. And you know, they may expect temporary or periodic losses, but they tend to increase their investments gradually as markets decline significantly, they increase proportionally with that decline. So that's how you increase your long-term your long-term returns. Uh, and, and I think to try to nail down the exact price uh, you, it's very, very difficult. So I sort of go in imagining that I'm wrong from inception and I have a plan all the way down to zero. And if the share rises, uh, it's a bonus. But I think that investors exhibit extreme arrogance uh, in their own financial security when they try to establish positions like that, that are that far out of their tolerance for risk. Uh, they think they can manage that risk by panicking out of a stock or by using stops. Uh, I mean, stops would have been completely ineffective with a trade like Steinhoff, and the traders would have based their anticipation of loss or potential loss on the stop gap rather than, you know, a 75% move in one day. Uh, as prices drop, you, you, they set this ultimatum uh, and, and it's just, it, it inevitably gets to those prices and then they abandon any prospect for recovery. Uh, it's, it's, I just don't think it's, uh, there's really much, much you can do about it other than 
trying to manage yourself into a positive position over time. No, no, got you. You mentioned a couple of things that are that are that I found interesting there. Um, you said you're going into into a trade or into a position with an assumption that you you're wrong on that trade, um, and and you also mentioned that uh, you know you not in so many words, but you 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 don't use stops as much. Um, how do you protect yourself against a a you know, with, without a stop, how do you do you protect yourself against an open-ended loss in, in, a, in a trade? And how do you know then when um, you are actually uh, wrong and it's time to get the heck out of Dodge? Um, believe it or not, uh, I very rarely... I, I, will, I will enter a position on the assumption that I will lose the full value of the investment. So I never get to the point where I'm willing to give up because I've already factored in it the, the trade is a total loss. So I'm never in a position where I need to pivot or change my plan because my plan was worst, worst, worst case scenario from day one. And, you know, it takes the emotion right out of the game because I, I enter the position, I scale into the position and if my full investment is not, or my full desired investment is not reached, that's okay. So, the scenario goes from being winning or losing to winning a little bit or winning a little bit more or winning a lot, depending on how long you stay in the share and how long it takes to retrace. That way, pretty much the only scenario that can actually ultimately result in you losing money is a bankruptcy or some sort of delisting against your interests. So it's not really a case of protecting myself because I was never in trouble at risk in the first place. Ah, got you, got you. And uh, um, when, 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 uh, when do you take profits then? When do you know? I phase out profits? of the positions in exactly the same way with exactly the same principles as I would have phased in. So any time when a share becomes a little bit parabolic, you, you'll find that my position will be lightened in that, in that holding. Um, the market leads you, you know, I mean, people try to impose themselves upon it. It's the most absurd thing you can try to do. It's like your little ant and uh, you, you, this, this, this is a whole world and you've got no chance. So just, I, I try to, I try to ease in, ease out because for the most part, you'll find, I mean, obviously stocks are a, they are a, they regress, they they move around. That's that's the key, not where they go. Just the fact that they move, uh, that they range and they trend, and then they counter trend. The the profits in the movements itself. Uh, to try to like pick the long game, and then, okay, you can do that, and you can hold great positions for long periods of time. I have some, but when it comes to the actual trading game, uh, you'll have better luck just playing the mean reversion game. Then you'll then you'll have committing large amounts of capital from the outset to shares you feel are certain to rise. I have no view on. I I feel that there's a higher probability that a share will rise, but I but I'm not staking my life on the fact that it's mm -hmm. going to rise. I mean, if it falls more, I buy. If if it rises, I reduce. And if you average that out over time. And you you distance your trades from one another, and you don't overinvest. 
you will churn profit. It's uh, especially in a market as volatile as ours. Ours is a, a wonderfully volatile market to employ these these kinds of principles. So it's not as easy in America because they have these ultra long term trending sectors like like the tech sector and stuff. So it's difficult there. But yeah, in the in the third world, it's a, it's a quant market. Oh, okay, got you. And uh, with 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 regards to your entries, do you do you buy when it's uh, um, overextended on the downside so that you know you're much closer to zero? Yes, I buy when when Twitter gets particularly bearish. It's actually a great it's a great yardstick to use because it's kind of gives you the zeitgeist of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, especially the local trading community. Uh, so it's 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 pretty easy to tell where you are in not exactly where you are in the cycle, but you don't need to know exactly where you are in the cycle. You just need to know like there were points, uh, you know, where where where, for example, on the Nasdaq process couple, uh, you could feel the periods of heightened negativity, and then then it kind of recovers and it moves. But these shares are moving like 20, 30 percent ranges as people decide whether or not they're ultimately going to get eaten alive by the Communist Party. So there's a lot you can do in that time, you know. It's going to take a long time for these things to happen. So you don't have to necessarily have like this ultimate view on a position. It's just a period of exposure for a period of time. That's all a share is. It's like an insurance policy. You pay a little bit of money and you get exposure to something for a given period of time. And if they don't pay, you don't begrudge them for it because you didn't die. But you can still you're still happy to have had that exposure. So shares work in the same way. You know, you chose to have exposure to something you thought would rise for a given period. Okay, it didn't rise. So move on, you know. But I mean, it doesn't have to be a picking game. You can really average profits. I think that's where, that's where you're going to, especially new traders, need to learn to average profits, not try to hit it big, be a big shot, you know, that kind of thing. No, no, got you, got you, got you. And I like how you, how you phrase it that you know whenever we're buying a share, whether it's for investment purposes or for trading purposes, we're actually just buying exposure to you know an e either a price rise or a price fall, depending on the side at which we bet we're placing a bet. Exactly. And how 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 did you come around to quantifying your edge and you know identifying when when you you have that quantified quantifiable edge? Oh, well, I, one never knows if you have it, uh, <laughs> or even if you have it in a particular trade, you could have some uh, particular system that functioned particularly well under a given set of circumstances, and then just did not the next week. I think the reason why I have confidence is because, or in the, in the process, is because the process is not subjective. It's entirely objective, purely mathematical. Um, at the end of the day, the stocks we're dealing with, uh, I know that big companies and, you know, you've got all these guys and you read these books and that, you know, you, the guys say like, you know, you need to know, you need to know, remember that you're buying a business and these things are all true. And you better have a very good understanding of the fundamentals of that business before you ever enter it. But when you do enter it, you're not buying the company, you're buying a stock and a stock is a binary security that is projected in the form of a number. And that number itself has properties that are not necessarily even related to the company. Uh, an example would be base effect. If you bought a Ving, for example, at two cents and it moved one cent, you, 
one cent, you get 50 cents. Now, that's a characteristic of the stock of a Veng that differentiates it from the stock of Billiton, but not because of some operational aspect. It's because the conduit through which you get exposure to that company's future cash flows is through stock. And so you ask yourself, what are the governing principles of the actual instrument that I am purchasing? It's a lot like an option. A stock is actually an option on a company uh, in a way because it gives you exposure to that business, but you're not buying the business. You're buying this, this instrument that has characteristics that goes up and down, but it can only go up and down. I mean, how? it's not as complicated as running a business. It's just yeah. this thing that can go up and down, as silly as it sounds. Uh, it, it's, it's, you don't have to make it much more complicated than that. And the fact that it does go up and down and it is made of numbers means that there are certain edges that you can get that you can be 100% certain or correct. No, got you, got you. And I like how, 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 you, how you put it. And, and I think it's, it's one of the uh, things that most people uh, participating in the market, especially uh, newbies, can't uh, um, you know, find it difficult to separate the two, you know, separate the company from the stock and the stock from the company. Um, and you, you see this quite often when, you know, a company comes up with strong results, but, it, you know, we've seen this with, with, with PGMs, um, uh, recently oh, yeah. where the companies come up with, with strong results and you see the stock, you know, getting hit by the market and you like, but the company's doing but well. Why? But the why? Yeah, it's falling, just you know? price, you know, it's expectations versus reality. Yeah. And when it comes to, 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 to your, your, your journaling, and uh, I would seem that you, you journal quite a bit, what, what, what are um, some of the data that you keep track of and um, how do you analyze the data and, 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 and if you analyze it also from a time series perspective? I, I keep a journal in the sense that I keep a spreadsheet that compiles the sort of the interrelationship or, or whatever you may call it, just the, the, so that I can see a more holistic view of my portfolio than my, than my you know, the, the web page may project. Mm -hmm. But I don't keep a traditional journal in that I try to record all of my shares, uh, individual trades. Um, I know that uh, it's very useful to new traders to do that. But I think that, uh, you know, after long enough, trading becomes a bit more of an intuitive process. Mm -hmm. um, I, have my, I have my future uh, desired entry or exits plotted out but you know I, I, I know a lot of guys keep the journals they're great um, they help you articulate your thoughts and um, you know see what has worked and what hasn't worked but in all honesty from my perspective my current cost price is all that affects my financial situation uh, what price I bought the stock at does not uh, when I bought it does not uh, the reality is that I'm currently sitting with the weighting I'm sitting with and in the stock and I'm sitting at the cost price I'm sitting at. So I'm looking forward more than backwards, I suppose, in a way. In, but, but yeah, there's certainly value to keeping, uh, you know, keeping a history. I mean, but that's what your p and is for. It's the, it's the biggest journal in the world. Just look at the bottom of the screen and see how things are going. <laughs> I got you. Got you. Do, you, do, you, do you pay attention to, to uh, um, like your mindset and, and how you like your state of mind at, at any given point in time when you trade it and when you review your trades? I think it's very important. Uh, I, um, I think that after long enough, you, uh, it's, it's the most important thing in the world. But I think that after long enough, 
you know, you've just seen so many, I mean, this, this market's madness, this one we have, we've got so much stuff going on. It's unbelievable. So you've pretty much seen like 10 or 20 years in the game and it's going to take something seriously catastrophic to mess with your head. Um, you know, we deal, yeah, in, in our market, we, we deal with ESCOM, ANC, uh, politics, you know, uh, COVID. So, I mean, quite honestly, what's going to worry you at this point? I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, I know, got you, got you, got you. And do, do, you, do you do any uh, optimization on, on, your straight, on your trading systems um, since you're more of a quant trader? Oh, absolutely. That, that's probably the thing that takes, uh, that I've spent the most hours on in the entire process. You sit and you, you know, so how do you eat an elephant? You just sit there and you pick away at this thing until you, until you get to the point where you're happy, which never really happens. Um, it's never perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, like any other trading philosophy or, or I think that everybody does that you sit and you, you you try optimizing you change your you may people may change their moving average periods they may change their support and resistance selections they may change various things um but yeah uh that's about it i could say on that and uh, how, how do you do, do you manage data fitting uh, um you know or, or you know uh, um hindsight bias you know when you you know, in, in hindsight, you know, 15-day exponential moving average could be better than a 14-day exponential moving average, but only in hindsight. How do you uh, protect yourself from hindsight bias and data data fitting? Yeah. When, when um, building an optimization. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I often repeat, I'll repeat the same mistake. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I won't ever allow simply one event to disprove the viability of a of a chosen course of action you have to you have to it has to fail on multiple occasions to prove to be ineffective on all occasions essentially mm -hmm. so for me i will you know, i'll i'll knock on the same door for quite a while before i give up on that process but um you know i've done that with a lot of things and uh, you end up left with quite a it's not, at least it's a system that would not work against you necessarily. So, and um, I mean, I think the thing is just keeping it as, I, I know it, it, it actually, it, it's a very simple, trying to keep it simple is probably the trick. Eh? I mean, uh, most of the time you, you don't have to do very much. Uh, just get out of your own way. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say let the stock lead you, but for the most part, in, the only thing that's ever obvious in hindsight is just, it's always obvious in hindsight that that something was going to happen. So, but why is it obvious in hindsight? It's because you were you were saturated with whatever emotions or the the contemporary news or, or whatever it was in the moment. And then out of the moment, you look in you look into that context and you're like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I, I shouldn't have done that. And then it just seems so clear. Uh, so I think that the the best thing you can do is just take in the news but but make the best of it don't let it affect your emotions and and at the end of the day people are not going to care in three weeks who picked what you know uh, <laughs> only thing that's going to matter is your p l so yeah. that's what i'd focus on yeah and you, you you touched on emotions there um and 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 i would i would assume that 
that's that's a hurdle that you've long passed now with your experience. Um, Most of the time. <laughs> how was it in the beginning? It still gets me sometimes. <laughs> how was that transition in the beginning and like you know emotional management and psychological management into into when you find yourself in a string of losing trades or you know find oh, yourself yeah. with a big losing trade. Um, in the beginning, I think my problem in the. I think my problem was over-investing uh, in the beginning, at the very beginning of my investment career. I think, and then, and you'll find that your your emotions will have, uh, they'll they'll be di- directly proportional to the amount you've put in. That's too much. Um, if you just uh, drop it a level and start thinking purely in percentage return terms, you could run your portfolio on a, a, a very small amount of money for a very protracted period of time. You could then control your emotions, learn to control them during that time. And then if you find a, a system that works, the, the market is wonderful in it. It allows for scalability. So if you, you can test at negligible numbers, uh, don't worry about values. Nobody cares about how much you're making or losing. They care about what percentage return you're achieving. That's the achievement. And that's what the traders on Twitter respect, for example, and in, you know, in day-to-day life. Um, so I would, I would, I've, I over-invested in the beginning and then I learned to scale it down, control my emotions, and now I'm much more comfortable to invest at high values, uh, having already bedded down those you know, mental blocks, but also have fun. Like I, I know I say have fun a lot, but it's, uh, you'd be surprised how much having fun just stops you from thinking about all the other nonsense. And, and then you just get to it, you know, and then that perpetuates into more fun, which then, you know, if you've got this constant like defensive, <laughs> you go into the market like, oh God, they're going to try to like tear my life savings to shreds. No, man, like, they, they are just as lost as you you know everyone is lost even the smartest guys are lost so just go in there and have a whale of a time and and just don't throw the farm in and you'll find that the other problems will evaporate because you are the problem look at a a nasdaq chart that thing has done nothing but go up you know since 2008 i mean why is everyone not rich because they got in their own way so Keep it simple and and just, you know, get in there, have fun and and don't overanalyze it. You know, everyone's like, oh, I've got to check this, got to make 100% sure about it. Don't be 100% sure. Just take a little bit of money and do it. Give it a shot and and then see how you feel and see what it does to your little amount of money and then scale it up. You know, that's how human beings learn. They start small, they get big and and then you develop the processes that you need and the faculties that you need over time. Yeah, yeah, and I like what you said about about having fun, and I think it's 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 quite important because it's very easy to be, uh, um, you know, uh, be drawn in so much about the, the the money and the losses and how much you make or how much you lose, and that, and you forget about the, the the fun aspect of trading. And I always make a, a, an example with with you know footballers, um, that if oh, yeah. you know a striker's job is to score goals. But when, when, when they have to mark an opponent, they don't say, that's not my job. That's not a part of the game that I don't like. Or they just Absolutely. enjoy playing football and marking is one of the things that they have to do. And similarly in trading, 
just enjoy trading um just enjoy analyzing markets and, and and you know picking up picking stocks or currencies or whatever it is that you're trading just enjoy the process of trading and uh, it'll make the uh, you know and just know that taking losses is part of the game and um, journaling is part of the game and just enjoy all of everything that entails the whole thing uh, absolutely yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's wonderful and, it's the whole endeavor and it will make repetibility much, much easier. And, you know, as human beings, we learn through repetition. And if you enjoy something, you're much, far much more likely to, 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 to repeat it. And to learn it effectively and quickly. Yeah, Absolutely. 100%, 100%. And what, what, what typically do you, uh, um, how much do you typically risk on, on a trade-by-trade -trade basis? Um, I risk um, between... Uh, eight and fifteen percent per stock. Uh, I know that's that a very high number. Portfolio um, or uh, of uh, I well, I have I have um, my portfolios are they are differentiated in the asset classes held. But if I was talking about my day to day trading of CFDs, um, I'll run let's say between five and then fifteen percent nominal, not real. Um, so this is my input. If the investment goes higher, then it will move to 20, 25%. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't believe terribly in, you know, this nonsense where people put 2% into, into a stock. I mean, what are you, are you going to become a wealthy man like that? Or is that how you're <laughs> going to become a wealthy man? Is that your plan? I mean, because if you want to be special, if you want to be rich, if you want to be special and, and, and stand out and be, be a, exceptional trader do you think you're going to do it by trading two percent of your money is that commitment you know what i mean you need to get real i think a, a person needs to get real uh you have to risk your money to become very wealthy um but you can do it in a smart way or you can kind of learn and then you know you know dip your toes and put 2% of your money in, in 50 stocks. I mean, why don't you just buy the index, save the comms? I mean, <laughs> don't waste your time. And I, I got you. And I suppose it's, it's, it's quite important to, to, to trade in line with your personality um, uh, because those kind of decisions are quite important that you're going to need to be comfortable with, with the decision you make, whether you're risking 1% or 5% or 15%. And and I suppose it also uh, how much risk on a trade comes also with conviction, and that comes with time. Absolutely. Plus, you're probably going to find five high-quality stocks, and you're never going to find 50. Yeah, true. So you've got a much better chance. I mean, you've got a bigger chance of losing, but you've got a far better chance of being right if you go out and pick five gems than trying to average out a profit from a... Yeah, how would you even manage 50? I don't know how these guys do it. I mean, just to look at the stock prices all day, I mean, you won't have a laugh. Yeah, true, 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 true. And uh, what are, uh, as, as we close, man, uh, what are some of your favorite books um, and that, that uh, and, and what, what, what did those books teach you? And um, what, are, what are some of the books that drove how you trade? Um. I think the best book on finance I've ever read, it's, uh, it's a book, uh, it's actually a financial philosophy book, kind of like um, Richest Man in Babylon kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called uh, 
It's called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace E. Wattles. It was written about 100 years ago, and I don't even think it's 100 pages long. Um, it, an experienced reader could read it in a, in a night comfortably. It just talks about the benefits of having creative wealth mindset versus a competitive one. Uh, I can't really go into the, the detail of the book. It's a bit, like I say, it's a bit philosophical, but, but it's the kind of book that, that's capable of changing your, your perspective on money. Uh, it, it's not going to teach you which support levels to buy it, but it's going to teach you, it teaches you about how to think about money more creatively. I think it's fantastic. I've also, I also enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed Van Tharp's position sizing. Mm -hmm. um but you know what regarding the i mean i'm, I'm i love books i've I, I love reading and uh but regarding the whole books as a starting point for traders um i'm not referring to you know casual readers who read finance for the joy of it or mm -hmm. for the occasional insight i'm talking to new traders uh they're still formulating their beliefs um They'll tell you to read everything, you know, read all the classics, just become a learning machine, read Darvas and box theory and read Douglas and Graham and Lynch. And they'll tell you to read anything and everything. Um, that way, when you eventually get around to trading, uh, you know, it'll be like a, like a little market water birth where you'll be very comfortable and warm in your knowledge. Um, but I think that, the reality is if you want to learn to trade, you, you just need to buy a stock, not a book. Um, you know, I think if, if, you want to be, if you want to be a good lover, you need to get a girlfriend, not a book about girlfriends. <laughs> um, the market's an extremely quick teacher. This is the benefit, you know? And, and the thing is that after you've dipped your toes uh, and then go ahead and read the books, you know, um, that'll, be the, that'll be the right thing to do. You know, but then you'll be able to discern the wisdom from the nonsense and formulate your own opinion. You know, that you'll have conviction through experience instead of faith in these people. Now, some of them are very good and some of them will set you on the wrong path, in my opinion. There are very few things that are more important than, than having your own informed conviction in trading. You know, these books that people read and the foundations that they'll set, the, the tenets, They'll, they'll stay with you for years to come. They'll reach into the future and affect every trade you ever make. So it is so vital that you, 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 you lay those, those foundations on your own terms. You know? Take that 500 bucks back from exclusive books and go buy a stock or buy an ETF or try a warrant or try everything. You know, don't just read everything. You know, you know, try everything. Have fun. Be creative. Enjoy yourself. You know, it's the greatest game ever played. Yeah, so, no, I, I agree with you 100% there. Um, um, you know, the markets itself will teach you far, far much more than the books will ever teach you. Um, you know, and the, if it, it won't matter if you read 100 trading books if you don't place a single trade. Um, exactly right. You're going to learn much, much more than, you know, in the markets themselves. I think you'll enjoy the books more once you've done some trading as well. You know, you'll come from that sort of first person perspective and, and you'll yeah. really, you'll, you'll, you'll take so much more from the book. 
Yeah, yeah. And because it often we'll be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Ah, oh, I know what you're talking All about. All the and time, then, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, the information that you're reading in the book will be... Uh, yes. Much Confirmation better. bias, really. That's why we all read the books. Yeah, yeah. I, knew I, I knew I was right about that. I knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah true, true. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jed, uh, thank you very much, man, for taking the time. We're going to park it here. Um, I really enjoyed um, chatting with you. Uh, we had technical difficulties, but I really enjoyed um, spending time with you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks. Same to you, man. Great work you're doing. Appreciate it. Eh? Nah, thank you very much. Do you have any any last words? Um, yeah, I mean, I can, I'll just mention this. Um, I think that like something that is not often mentioned, but should be emphasized uh, a lot for new traders is the value of a supportive unit uh, you know, especially if you're a new but a serious trader. Mm -hmm. I think that without a patient and like an understanding and a supportive family or, you know, who believe that you can make it in the trading game, you've got very little chance of staying the course for long enough for it to actually happen. So I think that like trading is a bit of a marathon. And, um, you know, if you happen to be blessed to find yourself in the situation where you have that that family and that that support base um you know you'll you'll have very little left to do uh but keep learning and and believe in yourself and you know it might take a little bit longer than expected but uh, at the end uh you know you'll take everyone further than they ever imagined so stick it out and uh i wish everyone luck and god bless yeah, thanks, man. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, you're, you're quite right there. You know, trading is a marathon and it's, it's about the durability and how long do you stay in the game rather than how much you make in the short term. That's it, man. Cool, cool, gents. Thank you very much, um, and I really appreciate it. We've got a pocket here. That's it for the show this week. Uh, be sure not to miss another vi- uh, episode of the Village Twitter podcast by subscribing on your favorite podcatcher. We everywhere where good podcasts are aggregated. Do follow me on Twitter. I am at Village Twitter ZA, and you can follow Michael at uh, Mercedarians on Twitter. Just mm-hmm. search for uh, uh, Back to Equilibrium. It's quite popular there. And uh, don't forget to check out our podcast sponsor, Exness, to open an account. Go to exness.com. Um, a big thank you to my guest and thank you for listening. Take you next time on the Village Trader. Cheers.